continuing our series, Praying, Praying the Bible, that we started last week. Um, my desire is for every person that calls this church home, that you are empowered to pray. Not that we only equip you to pray by teaching about it, by talking about it, but that we actually gather to pray. That prayer would no longer be something that just a select few people, they gather together to do, but that we would gather together as a church family and we would pray together. That you would be at home praying with your families, with your children, with your spouse. You, you would lock yourself alone in a room and you would just get alone with God and you would pray. I want us to be a church that prays. We're kind of wrapped up our, our week of prayer. And if you joined us for one of the prayer nights, you know, it was, it was powerful what God was doing. Just the, the people gathered together and praying. It was awesome. John Wesley says this, or said this, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. If we want to see people come to know Jesus, if we want to see signs and wonders and miracles, if we want to see revival, if we want to see our city turn to Jesus, if we want to see cultural transformation, if we want to see the kingdom of heaven on earth, then we must be people of prayer because God responds to believing prayer. These things, the revival and healings and signs and wonders and cultural transformation and all of this stuff, they're not just sovereign acts of God. Yes, there are times when God moves and he's just moving. And it doesn't matter if someone has prayed or not because God sovereignly shows up. But more often than not, he partners together with people who are praying. They are a direct response to prayer. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 17, verses 20 through to 26. And today, we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus prayed for us. John chapter 17, verses 20 through to 26. And this is, this is what Jesus prays. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The entire 17th chapter of the book of John records Jesus praying. The first part of that chapter, Jesus is praying for the disciples, those who are actually physically with him, the 11 disciples who are with him. He spends time and he prays for them. And then verses 20 through to 26, he begins to pray for us. 
Because we are the ones that came to faith as a result of the message of the original disciples. The original disciples were sent out and they began to spread the gospel, lead people to the Lord. And we are a result of the work that they did. So this is Jesus praying for us. You and I were on Jesus' heart that night. And he prayed specifically for us. Jesus personally prayed for every believer that would ever come to faith in him. Before you were born, Jesus had prayed for you. He saw you then. He sees you now. And this is what he asked the Father for. I think it's extremely important for us to understand and to know when Jesus prayed and he prayed specifically for us, what did he ask God for? The first thing that he asked God for was unity. He's not asking that we would simply be on the same page and not fight with one another, which, I mean, if we're honest, that would be a huge accomplishment. If we could all just get on the same page and we would all just stop fighting with one another, that would be great. But he asks for more than that. He asks that we would be one. That we would be one. The very same way that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, he's, they are one. See, the goal is oneness. Not just unity. Jesus prays for oneness with the Trinity as his example. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, it's important, it's theologically important that we understand that we do not serve three gods. We serve one God. We, re we read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 last week, and this is just the one, the very, the very beginning. I think this is verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one being, three persons. He is one God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. There is no separation. There is no beginning of one and an end of another. There is only one God. Now, some people, when they, when they teach or they talk about the Trinity, they will use natural things to help us understand because this doesn't make any sense. In your mind, how can you have three distinct persons, but only one? So there's only one, but yet there's three. There's three, but there's only one. See, if you go to school with math like that, you're getting an F. Like, it, does, it doesn't make natural sense. And so we use, there's people who will use natural things to help us begin to grasp this concept. They'll talk about water, right? You have solid state of water, which is ice, right? You've got liquid, and then you've got gas. All water, different forms, they might talk about an egg. You've got the shell, you've got the white, and you've got the yolk. I'll make up the egg. They, you know, and then you have this, and, and um, St. Patrick was famous for this. He used the clover, right? You've got three leaves on a clover, it's one clover plant. He used that to explain the Trinity in Ireland, and that's why you see the shamrock on St. Patrick's Day. These examples help, to, help us to begin to grasp the concept of the Trinity. But on some level, they all break down. They aren't perfect examples. And really, the best way, the perfect way, really the only way to fully understand and comprehend the Trinity is by reading your Bible. Because the Trinity is expressed in the Word of God. Each person of the Trinity is spoken of in Scripture, yet they are also spoken of as one. For example, Jesus was raised from the dead by the Trinity. And there's scriptural example. Jesus was raised from the dead by Jesus, John chapter 10 and verse 18. He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit, 
in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And he was raised from the dead by the Father in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. See, the Trinity, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was there raising Christ from the dead. So the oneness we see in God is the oneness that Jesus is asking for us to have. As, as followers of Christ, as believers, to have unity with one another. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, he says, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Okay, so each of us, as we begin our relationship with Jesus, we are united with the Lord Jesus and we become one with him in spirit. So this is Jesus in John chapter 17. He prays that we would all be one as he and the Father are one. And then he provides the way for us to step into that oneness through his death and his resurrection. Right? Now it's on us to walk out the reality of our oneness. It's this thing that we are one with him. We are one with one another. Now we have to walk out that reality. This isn't something that he's praying for will, will come to pass one day in the future. He's, you know, upon his death and his resurrection, we became one. Now we have to live like it. We have to act like it. We have to live up to that standard. As followers of Jesus, it's time for us really to stop focusing on what separates us and what divides us. And we can list a long list of things that we all focus on. On the dividing, on the separating. We like to put people into, into groups. It's us versus them. Whether it's, you know, fill, it, fill in the blank. Us blank versus them blank. And we like to make these groups. But those labels... Those labels are what separates. Those labels are what divides. So it's time for us to stop focusing on all the things that divide us. It's time for us to start focusing on the things that unite us, the, things that, the thing that makes us one. It's Jesus. Jesus is what brings us together. Jesus is what unites us. Jesus is what makes us one. One with him, one with the Father, one with the Spirit, and one with each other. We're not looking for uniformity, where we all act alike, look alike, talk alike, dress alike, as if we're some sort of cult. We want to celebrate our personal diversity, our cultural diversity, but yet be one. We need to be one in desire, one in prayer, united in love and affection, of single heart, of spirit. Why is this so important? Jesus said, so that the world may believe that he is the son of God. Listen, churches everywhere around the globe are trying to come up with these strategies and events to reach out to their communities. These huge events empowering, you know, individual people to, to big all church, church events. And they're just trying to spread the gospel. They're trying to tell people about Jesus, trying to bring Jesus, people into, into relationship with Jesus. And, and here's, here's Jesus over here praying, just be one. Just be one. And when you're one, it shows that I am God, that he is Lord. Instead of having these big strategies for, for you know, engagement in, into our communities, maybe we should just be one and watch them come. Stop fighting. Stop dishonoring. Stop gossiping. Stop self-promoting my agenda and, and my platform and this thing that I'm doing. Let's just be one. Let's just stop dividing and separating. Be what you are. You're one with the Lord. 
And we're one with each other. We just need to start being. And the world will know that Jesus is Lord. It's not complicated. I'm not saying it's easy either. Because it requires us to sacrifice our egos, which I haven't met a person yet who is excited to sacrifice their ego. I haven't met a person yet who is excited to humble themselves and take up the position of being a servant to serve all. I have never met someone who is excited about that. Because it's hard. No one wants to be last. Everybody wants to be picked first. Right? Just walk onto a school ground and, and, and you know, the kids, they want to be picked first for the game. I want to be the one picked first. There's something inside of us that wants us to be first. When Jesus comes along, he says, just be last. Serve one another. Imagine the, the oneness, the unity, being united. If we all sacrificed our egos and we took up the humble position of being a servant, serving one to another, loving one another, honoring one another. In the natural, we've got these things in the medical community that are called autoimmune disorders. And really, simplistically, this is when the immune system begins to attack the body. See, the immune system doesn't recognize that it is one with the body, but it sees the body as an enemy. This is what we do as believers when we attack the body of Christ as the body of Christ. Now, in the natural, if you have an autoimmune disorder, you go to the doctor and you try to prevent it, you try to cure it, you try, you, you try to stop your body from attacking itself. Somehow, some way, it just seems to be accepted as common practice among followers of Jesus. Well, that's just what they do. We just attack each other. We call each other out. We divide. We separate. My church, my agenda. My church is the best church. My, my worship team is the best worship team. And, and we, we do all these things. Forgive us, Lord, for attacking our own body. See, unity declares to the world that Jesus is Lord. And I think if we just rest in a somber moment, I think we could all admit that we haven't done a very good job of being one. And we haven't represented Jesus well all the time. We can do better. We need to do better. The second thing that Jesus asked the Father for, for us, was glory. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Now, how many of you are familiar? There's a verse in Isaiah 42 and verse 8. Now, you might not know the address, but it says this. I will not give my glory to another. So then, the, like, which, which verse is true? Is it that I have given them my glory? Or from Isaiah where he says, I will, give, I will not give my glory to another. Because on the surface, it seems like, like Jesus is contradicting what, some, what, what, what Isaiah prophesies. It's not. The word of God does not contradict itself. Isaiah goes on to say that God will not give praise that's due to him to idols. Isaiah is saying, 
that God will not give his glory to anything or anyone that is in competition with him. Jesus is praying and stating that he gave his glory to us through our oneness with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that we would be completely unified. You cannot be in competition with Jesus and in relationship with Jesus at the same time. We cannot be one with Jesus and against Jesus. See, the moment that we step out of oneness with Jesus or oneness with other believers, we have lost the glory. And the word glory that Jesus uses here in the Greek is the word doxa, which means kingly majesty, that thing that belongs to him, to Jesus, as supreme ruler. Majesty in the sense of the absolute perfection of his deity. The kingly majesty of the Messiah. So glory is the majesty, the power, the rule, and the reign of King Jesus. That's the glory that Jesus is saying he gives to us. I picture it this way. I picture it as Jesus extending his arms over us with his kingly majesty, his, his deity, his perfection, his absolute rule and reign. And we come into relationship with him. We become one with him and we are covered with his glory. He spreads his glory over us, giving us his glory. See, we rest under Jesus' covering of glory. And the glory of Jesus is his absolute rule and reign over everything with all of his majesty, with all of his kingship working in us and through us by the Holy Spirit. It's the working of his power in salvation and it's the working of his power in miracles and signs and wonders. This is the glory of Jesus. See, when Jesus works through us and we lead someone into relationship with Jesus, that's his glory resting on us. When we take time and we lay hands on someone that needs a miracle, they need a healing in their body, and they are healed, that's the glory of God in action, at work, in power. Because it's his absolute rule and reign over everything. right? Paul writes in Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on the earth, under the earth, above the earth. He is the name that's above all names. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so when he shows up and he brings something in under submission to his name, whether it's sickness or it's, it's deliverance, it's freedom, that's his glory. And he works, his, his glory rests on us and it works through us. But not if we're not, not, if we're not one. See, the, the moment we start being in competition with one another, the moment we start fighting with one another and we step out of that oneness, then we've lost his glory. We are to move in the, in the unity of Jesus' covering of his kingship over our lives. And we are to have unity in the mandate of extending the kingdom through souls saved, healed, set free from the grip of the devil. There's no greater demonstration than the, than the, of the love of Jesus than this. Pe seeing people come into relationship with him, be set free from their sin and all of those things that bind, him, bind them. This is the purpose of our oneness with him and unity with one another. Jesus goes on and he, he goes on to pray and he says his desire is for us to be with him that we might see his glory in all of its brilliance. 
read this and I'm hearing Jesus ask the Father to give us holding power. Staying power of God to be on us. To keep us till the moment we are with Jesus again. See, Jesus is he's praying for that one day time, that day that will come. Whether it's we breathe our last here on the earth or Jesus returns and we are, we are gathered together with him. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for the power of God to hold us until that moment, until you breathe your last or until he returns. Jesus not only has the power to save, but he's got the power to keep. It's one thing to give your life to Jesus. It's another thing to stay in that relationship outside of the, you know, the moment and the emotion. I mean, we all love the stories of dramatic salvations of someone who is really just gripped in the chains of the depravity of, of, of humanity and sin. And we love the, to hear the stories and the testimonies of how they were, de, they were delivered and set free. And now God has turned their lives around. And they are awesome stories. Because they're stories of God's power. But I also love to hear the stories of someone that walked faithfully with Jesus every day of their life. And they never walked away. They never wandered away. Because that's the power of Jesus. Just the same. Jesus saves and Jesus keeps. The last thing Jesus prays for us for is love. He says, I made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is praying and he's asking for this continuous revelation of the Father for us. See, we will spend, there's, there's going to come a time, a moment, where we will spend all of eternity with God, getting to know Him and experiencing Him. So whatever revelation that you have of God now is not where Jesus wants you to stay. There's more. There's more for you to experience. There's more for you to know. There's more for you to encounter. There's more. There's more to God than what I know, and there's more to God than what I've experienced. I've, I would never... Stand before you and say that I've got it all figured out and I understand, I understand God beginning to end. I stand before you and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't have God figured out. He does things all the time that I don't understand. See, there's more. There's more to God than what you realize. And Jesus' desire is that we would be ever increasing in our revelation of the Father. Not just staying it. Okay, I, like my, my revelation is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. That is revelation of Jesus. That's revelation of God. But God doesn't want us to stay there. God wants us to grow, right? If, if your revelation is Jesus loves me, this I know, God's like, I want to introduce you to, to the Father and experience the Father's love. You, you, you know the Father, you know the Father's love. He's saying, hey, there's a Holy Spirit that wants, to, that wants to baptize you and flow out of you. See, there's so much more than whatever it is and however long you've walked with Jesus. You've walked with Jesus 50 years, there's more. How do I know there's more? Because we're going to spend all of eternity getting to know Him. There's more. We need to stir ourselves up to, to participate with God in this continuous revelation of Him, of His love, revelation of the Father. Jesus states the reason that He will continue to make the Father known to us is so that His love may be in us. See, 
the greater revelation of God, the greater his love in us and through us. When we encounter and experience and know the Father in increasing ways, we have a greater capacity to love and to be loved. So you, you want to be able to love people better? Get a greater revelation of God. You have a greater revelation of God, you've got a greater capacity to love people. Your capacity to love people is directly proportional to your revelation of God. Because you can't know God and not love people. Because, right, John says in 1 John, God is love. And so if you know God, then you know love. If you know love, then love should flow through you to other people. You can't not know God and not love people. And when we love people the way that Jesus loves us, we will see them come into relationship with him. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's not the judgment of God. It's not the wrath of God. It's not the fear of God. It's the kindness of God that will lead people to repentance. We can literally love people straight into the kingdom of God. When we love them the way that Jesus loves us, we are Jesus with skin on for these people. As we have a greater revelation of the Father, we get better at loving the unlovable. Bob Goff says this, love difficult people, you're one of them. It's a sad thing that followers of Jesus are seen as anything but the embodiment of love. We are one with love, right? We're one with God. God is love. We are one with love. How can we, be, how can we not be known for love? We desperately, desperately need a fresh revelation of the Father so that we can love like he does. Now, keep in mind, love is not, a feel, it's not just a feeling and love is not just an emotion. Love looks like something. Right? John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He didn't just sit back and be like, I have such strong emotions of love for all of you people. I have such strong feelings of love. He loved us and then he demonstrated his love. Because love looks like something. So when we truly love people, it will look like something, not just words coming out of our mouth. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's not a description. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is a verb. So when Jesus prayed, he asked the Father for unity, for glory, and for love for us. That we would be united in oneness with him covered in his glory and displaying his love for the world. Now I want to end, I want to end the service the same way that we ended it last week because this is like, we're, I'm teaching on praying the Bible. And so I can, we can walk through this prayer, you know, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Now you have an understanding of when Jesus prayed for us, this is what he asked for, right? But we want, I want to empower you to actually pray the Bible, to take the prayers from the Bible and to pray them back to God. Okay, so if, you've, you know, if you're like a little lost and you're like, I'm not really sure what you, what, what, what you mean, go to, the, go to the podcast, 
catch the beginning of last week's message to do a whole introduction of what, the, what it means and why it's important for us to pray the Bible. And so um, whoever's running the slides, can we go back to the, back to the, the slides of, um, of the scripture, John chapter 17. And I'm going to ask us all to stand and we're going to pray this all together. I never want any one of us to step into a, into a, a prayer gathering and, and, and not know what to say. Because God has already given us prayers to pray. They're written down in the, in the, in the word of God for us. And we just pray them back to him. It kind of feels like perfect prayers. When you take his prayers and you pray them back to him. So this is what we're, we're just going to read this through a few times out loud. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you. And they know that you sent me and I have made you known to them. And I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. Amen and amen. Jesus, we receive the prayers that you prayed for us when we were on your mind, when we were on your heart, as you prayed for our unity, our oneness with one another, to be like the oneness that you have with the Father. We receive that. We ask, Holy Spirit, for you to empower us to live that out, oneness with one another. And we receive your glory that you've given us, the glory of your majesty of your absolute rule and reign on our lives. We receive your glory. Father, I ask that your glory would work through us in power to the world around us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would give us a greater revelation of the Father. That we would know the Father in a greater measure tomorrow than we do right now. God, I ask that you would give us encounters at night as we sleep in our dreams. God, maybe even that you would wake some of us up with these dramatic spiritual encounters where we are encountering you and experiencing you in ways that we never have before. Father, we need a greater revelation of you so that we can have a greater capacity to love the world around us. We want to be known as the embodiment of love demonstrating your love to the world around us. You have a perfect love. You love us perfectly. Help us to love people like you love us. Jesus, we receive your prayer. And we say amen and amen.